Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. You know, ever since uh, being married to Hannah, watching sports uh, ha- has never been the same. I I have been a pretty you know decent sports fan for most of my life. I was involved in sports uh, through high school from you know basically before I had memories. I was involved in sports until I. Uh, graduated from high school, and so I enjoyed watching sports games, especially uh, college football and professional baseball. Those two are my absolute favorites. Uh, if you if you prefer other things, I'm sorry. I know I didn't mention basketball, uh, but baseball and football are uh, sports that I really enjoy watching. And I have my favorite teams. Some of you may know that I really like the Houston Astros. Um, let's put the reputation to the side for now, but but uh, I really enjoy watching them, and I really love it when my team wins. And uh, I, of course, even after being married, would, would sometimes watch uh, sports with, with Hannah. And uh, ever since then, something has changed because when I watch these games and, and Hannah's watching with me, she hopes that my team wins. But then at the end of the game, when I'm, you know, I'm up off the couch and I'm jumping and I'm, I'm saying, yeah, we won. Yeah, you know, we took it to that other team and ha ha, you know. And, and then she'll say, look at their faces. Look at the faces of the other team. They look so sad. Don't you feel bad for them? And then I start to think, it's oh, come on, it's a sport. I mean, of course, one team has to lose. For us to win, they have to lose. But game after game, as she points out, you know, this other team that lost doesn't feel the same way that you do. I started to realize that I don't ever really feel sympathy for this other team. And I'm not saying that you can't cheer on your own teams and you can't enjoy your own uh, uh, team's victories. But there's this sympathy that just didn't come naturally to me that came so naturally to Hannah. And if you know Hannah, you know that she's a very sympathetic person. She can really uh, relate to people who are going through difficult things. And so when she when she watches these sports, uh, when she watches baseball games and she sees the other team losing and the reaction on their face, it affects her. And it has changed the way that I watch sports. And now whenever my team wins, I'm happy, but there's also a piece of me that feels sorry for the losing team. I never felt that before. That sympathy just didn't come easy to me. And in general, sympathy doesn't, doesn't always come easy to us, especially when we're dealing with people that we don't really like or people who we kind of hope fail. You know, we think back to the first century, to the Jews who were living during the time of Jesus. There were a lot of people who they were kind of hoping would fail. There are a lot of people who the, Jew, who the Jews were not able to sympathize with, people that they counted their enemies. Think about the Samaritans. They did not like the Samaritans. Think about the tax collectors and, of course, Rome. These people were enemies. And when you start to see some of these Jewish teachers started incorporating in their teaching their disgust for these other people. They started teaching ways about the law that incorporated the way that they felt about their enemies. We read about the scribes and the Pharisees and the way that they taught the law. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in uh, Matthew chapter 5-7, through seven, there's a section of that where Jesus directly addresses the way that the scribes and Pharisees taught the law. He talks about the way that they looked at the law, that the scribes and Pharisees used the law instead of letting the, the law use them. They looked for loopholes. They looked for ways to get around certain things. They would interpret interpret the law in ways that allowed them to do the things that they wanted to do. One example 
of a law that they found a way around was Leviticus 19 and 18, which said that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's a pretty simple command. You should treat your neighbor the way that you want to be treated. If your neighbor had all of their crops burned that year, if their, if their crops, their, their fields all burned down and they didn't have any way to support their family anymore and they come to you asking for help, you should help them. If somebody is struggling in some way, you should help them. And don't take advantage of their vulnerable situation. Love your neighbor as yourself. The way that you'd want to be treated, treat them that way. It's simple, not easy, but it's a straightforward command. But you can imagine how the Jews might have not always liked that commandment. You know, take the example of somebody whose crops had burned. If your neighbor came to you and said, you know, my, my crops have burned and I, I have nothing to sell at the market, I have no way to support my family, could you help us out? And you can imagine the person thinking, well, you know what, that same thing happened to me last year and I asked you for help and you didn't lift a finger. I don't think I want to help you. In fact, the law tells me to love my neighbor, but you haven't really acted like a neighbor to me. You've acted more like an enemy. And you can see where this is going. Suddenly, I think, this person doesn't really fall into this category that this law was applying to. They're not really my neighbor, they're my enemy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus referring to what the scribes and the Pharisees taught. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees realized that if you define your terms correctly, the command to love your neighbor actually becomes pretty easy. Not only is it simple, but it becomes easy if you just figure out exactly how to define your terms. They said the law says that you have to love your neighbor, but it doesn't say anything about your enemy. It says that you have to love your neighbor, but it doesn't say that you have to love your enemy. And it seems only logical if it says that you should love your neighbor. The flip side of that coin is going to be that you don't have to love who, those who aren't your neighbor. And in fact, if it says love your neighbor, the opposite is probably true. So hate your enemy. You can see how they, if they define their terms and if they start to think about this in some sort of a kind of logical way, they can deduce that the law really teaches that you should hate your enemy. And that's what they taught, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And of course, it's best to keep the line between neighbor and enemy kind of blurred so you can interpret who is your neighbor and who is your enemy, whichever way best fits you. There's a teaching of the Pharisees that's been recorded that says, if a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out. For it is written, thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor, but this man is not thy neighbor. What the teachers of the law had done was find a way to technically obey the law, but to miss the whole point. You know, it's, it's easy for us to talk about them, these, these uh, Pharisees and these scribes who talk about the law. The Pharisees were a, a religious sect within Judaism who were very intent on everybody keeping the law, and they watched people to make sure that they kept the law. And the scribes were the people who were basically uh, went around interpreting the law for people. They were interpreting all kinds of different documents. In fact, scribes were not just 
a Jewish thing. There were scribes all over the place because they were the people who would draft up legal documents if somebody was getting married or somebody was getting divorced. Somebody was purchasing a piece of land. The scribes were the ones to draft up that document. So they were really good at interpreting legal documents. And so they also interpreted the law of Moses. And we look at them and the way that they interpret the law. We look at the Pharisees, the way that they enforce the law, and we think, that is just terrible. Look at them. But you know, we do some of that same, same sort of thing. You know, it's easy to talk about them, but this is a problem for us too. This is a problem for people living in Norman, Oklahoma in 2020. This is a problem for people who drive down the streets of this very town and you see the signs. You see signs for both sides. There are issues that are creating enemies left and right every day. This is an issue for us. This is an issue for people who have social media profiles who can go online and look at their phone and, and they can see post after post of opposing viewpoints and the ways that people talk about each other. This is a problem for us, too. If in 2019 you thought that you didn't have enemies, in 2020 you have too many to count. Having enemies is a reality of life. What counts is how we treat them. Are we like the scribes and the Pharisees who find every possible excuse to hate them? You know, Jesus has come, in the context of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has come, he says, to fulfill the law. He has come to show that the way that the scribes and the Pharisees are interpreting the law just doesn't square with the character of God. See, the scribes and the Pharisees had their own righteousness that was rooted in their nominal obedience. They found ways to sort of technically be obedient without actually changing who they were. So they taught that they were righteous, but Jesus says that our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, or there's no way that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. If we live like that, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus shows there is a better way. A law that, or a, a way of interpreting the law that fulfills the purpose of the law. A way that goes beyond nominal obedience and gets at the heart. In contrast to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here Jesus says something that would have been hard to hear. You know, this is hard for us to hear today. You can bet in their context it was hard for them to hear too. What is Jesus talking about? Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Who is your enemy? Well, Jesus here in the context talks about people who are persecuting you. And he goes on to talk about the people who are evil and, and unjust. For those who don't love you. For those who you don't consider for those who you don't consider your brothers. Jesus doesn't seem to have a very specific category in mind, but we might sum up what he's talking about by saying your enemy is anybody you don't naturally love, and especially somebody who doesn't love you. Who comes to your mind? Your enemy might be a co-worker who seems always out to get you. Maybe you're a student who's hoping that 
virtual school goes through the whole year so you don't have to see those people because you know that they don't like you. These are the people that Jesus calls us to love. These are the people that Jesus calls us to pray for. And why should we do this? Why would we want to help people who don't seem to like me and maybe even want to harm me? Why should we love them? Why should we pray for them? Jesus said that we should love our enemies because God does. He says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We must not hate our enemies, but love them because that's what God does. What is Jesus saying? Well, first of all, he's not saying that if you want to receive salvation, and that's in the sense of become a child of God, the key to becoming or the key to receiving salvation is loving your enemies. What he's talking about here is, is under the assumption that you are a child of God. Now act like it. What he's saying here is, is in the sense of if someone were to see me, if they knew my father, my earthly father, and they said that I did something like him, if I acted like him, if I had his mannerisms, which I've, I've been told I have, I have my dad's uh, mannerisms, which whatever they are, uh, they tell me, you know, you're, you're your father's son. That's what it's talking about here. If you want to carry the characteristics of God, your father, you have to love your enemy. And then you can be truly called your child, your father's child. To truly be a child of God. And as children of God, we are called to reflect God's character to the world. We hope that by the way we live, people will experience the love of God and turn to him. Are you your father's child? Do you love your enemies the way that your father does? You know, God didn't doesn't only give rain and sunshine to those who like him. He gives rain and sunshine to all people. Even the atheist farmer receives rain for his farm. And beyond the rain and sunshine, God has shown his tremendous love for his enemies by dying for them. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 5? It says, For a while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In general, people don't want to die for each other. Maybe there are some people who are so great, some really good people that you can think of, that you say, they would probably be worth dying for. But Paul says here that God demonstrated his incredible love for dying, by dying for sinners. In a couple of verses, he goes on to say that we are reconciled to God while we were enemies of God. There's that word again. We were enemies of God. God didn't wait for us to say, okay, God, I want to be your friend. Will you help me out? He didn't wait for us to get our acts together. He sent Christ while we were enemies to die for us. 
It was for Christ's enemies that he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been to pray that prayer? Jesus on the cross, held there by nails in his wrists, nail, a nail in his feet. Just to utter the words, he would have had to pull himself up to draw in the air to say that. It would have been pain not just to think it. How difficult would it be to forgive those who had mocked you, who had spit on you, who had beat you, who are killing you, who are literally draining your lifeblood away. And then he lifts himself up to ask God to forgive them. What love. There is something fundamentally different about the way that God handles his enemies from the way that we often handle ours. You know, it seems like good logic to not want good things for those who are against you. Why would I want to help those who are just trying to hurt me? Especially if somebody's not a good person, we naturally want them to fail. And, and there is a very true sense in which we don't want evil people to be successful in their evil. And I'm not advocating that at all. I'm not saying that we should just be okay with anything that happens, that we approve of any evil actions. And we should want the evil to stop, but God shows us how we do that. Instead of overcoming evil with more evil, God overcomes evil with love. He doesn't stoop to the level of his enemies. He operates at a higher plane by humbling himself to the point of dying on a cross. The cross should be our model for enemy love. If we want to be like our Father in heaven, look to the cross. Look to the cross instead of fighting back with mean words to someone who's insulted you. Look to the cross instead of wishing evil on someone who has made it clear that they hope that you fail. Look to the cross instead of issuing words of condemnation on someone who has persecuted you for your faith. We will never defeat our enemies by returning evil for evil. We can only hope to defeat them by loving them. And in so doing, we are hoping to one day welcome them into the family of God. That should be our hope. But we love them and show them the love of God, that they might themselves turn to God. Pushing back with the same evil methods that they are hurting us is not going to turn them to God. You know, we sometimes get discouraged because we want that change to be immediate. We hope that if we love our enemies, they'll immediately change. They'll, they'll turn to God and they'll start loving us in return. But it doesn't always happen that quickly. Sometimes it might. There's a story I read about uh, somebody who, as a young man, he was taught to every night kneel beside his, bread, uh, kneel beside his, his bed and to say a prayer. And he joined the army and he continued this practice every night. Whenever he was in his barracks, he would kneel beside his bed and he would pray. Well, one night while he was praying, somebody walked in who didn't really appreciate him doing that. And so he took off his muddy boots and he threw them at the head of this person while he was praying. So he got up and the person who was praying, he got up and, and took those boots and he set them neatly by that other person's bed and then quietly went back to praying. The next morning he woke up and his boots had been shined. His boots had been cleaned and taken care of. Just like that, in this instance, this person's love 
melted the heart of somebody who was once their enemy. And sometimes it will happen like that. But not always. Sometimes we may have to wait months or years or decades of repeatedly loving those who attack us before we see any sort of change. You know, there was a, uh, toward the beginning of, of World War I, there was something uh, pretty incredible that happened. This was the um, Christmas Eve of, of 1914. There were hundreds of miles of uh, the ba- a battle line where you had both sides on either side of the line, and they'd been fighting for a long time, and already hundreds of thousands of people had been killed in this war, and there'd been all this fighting across the line, but then something spontaneous happened on a Christmas Eve, 1914, without any sort of order, without any sort of uh, talk beforehand. The soldiers started laying down their weapons, and they met in the middle, both sides, and they met and sang Christmas carols together. I think back, I think about that, and I think that's just you know incredible, amazing that that kind of thing would happen. There and, and there was a, a German soldier who uh, named Joseph Winsel, who wrote to his parents about this event. He said, Between the trenches, the hated and bitter opponents meet around the Christmas tree and sing Christmas carols. This once-in-a-lifetime vision I will not forget. For one holy night, they loved their enemies. But sadly, right after this, they went back to fighting. But I wonder what kind of impact this might have had on some people down the line. Years from then, I wonder, looking back on that, if, if love that was shown at, on that night might have impacted somebody. We don't know. We don't know if love shown that night might have impacted and softened someone's heart. And often that is what our enemy love is going to look like. We may reach out and love, and maybe sometimes they'll respond with love back toward us immediately. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes we'll reach out in love, and they'll respond back with hatred. And sometimes what happens afterward is just going to be all-out war. But what we do is we hold on to hope that one day the love of God will be seen through our actions. Just as God sends rain on the unjust farmer year after year, hoping that one day they will look up from their crops and see the God who has loved them, so should we do the same. Love those who you consider enemies. Love them day after day year after year. And this kind of love is not easy for us. You know, we don't see it very often. Do we see it in ourselves? Are we reflecting the character of God and our love of our enemies? Jesus continues the saying in chapter 5 by saying, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Youth, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If Jesus says that our goal should be to act like God, then he shows us here 
to fall short of that is to act like everyone else in the world. So he's asking, what are you doing differently than everybody else? Those who claim to be children of God, what are you doing differently than everybody else? You know, it's not especially difficult to love someone who loves you. If you expect to gain from being kind to someone else, it's pretty easy to be kind. Everybody knows that. Even tax collectors who are slimy people would love those who love them. You know, you can't read the Gospels without seeing the reputation that the tax collectors had. The tax collectors were seen as traitors because the tax collectors, at least the, the local tax collectors that these people would interact with, were Jews. These were not Roman citizens who had been imported to the Jewish people. These were Jews whom the Romans had turned against their own people. So these were Jews who were going around demanding money for Rome. Give your money to Rome. Give your money to Rome. And so the Jews saw them and thought, traitor, how could you help the people who are enslaving us? And beyond being traitors... They were known for being wicked and greedy people. You see, there were ways that they could work the system so that they collected a lot more taxes than they actually had to pass up uh, to the next level. They would pass their taxes on up to the person, their supervisor, and it would go on up. Eventually, it would go, and uh, the emperor would uh, be able to use these funds for the empire. And so the tax collectors owed a little bit of money to the people above them. But whatever money that they were able to collect, whatever extra they were able to collect, they would just keep for themselves. And so they would demand more and more and more money. And they could become pretty rich. These people were traitors. They were greedy. But Jesus says, even they will love those who love them. And of course they will, because they stand to benefit from that. If you think that by loving somebody, I'm going to get something in return, I'm going to profit from that interaction, of course you're going to love them. Is that the only love that you express? Is love for those who are going to love you in return? How are you fundamentally different than everybody else? Or what about the Gentiles? Now, these were not worshipers of the Lord, the God of Israel. They had their own so-called gods that they worshipped, but none of them was like the God of Israel. The God of Israel was the God who created everything and called his worshippers to worship him for his faithfulness and for his love. The gods of the Gentiles were worshipped because the worshippers, the Gentiles, thought that they stood to gain something from their worship. They would offer a sacrifice so that they might have a more productive crop. They offered a sacrifice so that, that God would owe them more children. But even the Gentiles who worship false gods for bad reasons will greet their brothers when they pass them in the streets. So how are we different from them? Does our love ever go beyond selfish motivations? The disciples of Jesus are called to live at a higher standard. He said that our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of others. As disciples, we are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are to bear the image of God to those who are lost. 
But if our love looks no different than anybody else, it's like shining a flashlight in the middle of broad daylight. You're not doing anything. If the brightness of your love is no different than everybody else. Loving enemies is where you can be different. And this is a category where you can make an impression on people because it is so uncommon. For a country where the majority of its citizens claim to be Christians, enemy love is still an uncommon thing. Just look at Facebook. Listen to each other talk about these issues that we're dealing with, whether to wear masks, whether to fund the police. These are touchy topics. Makes me feel uncomfortable even mentioning those things right now. Because people are so angry with each other and so hateful toward one another over these issues. I'm sure you know which side of these things that you stand on, and you've probably seen people that you would consider your enemies because of these different issues. How do you treat them? Do you pray for them? Or do you just wish bad things on them? Do you love them? Do you actually want to help them? Do you hope that your love for them will point them to God? There's a, uh, in closing, there's a, a story of an uh, African uh, Christian man who burned his hands. When asked about how he burned his hands, he said that he helped his neighbor uh, put out a fire that was uh, consuming their neighbor's house. Later it was revealed that what actually had happened was his neighbor hated him. And while he and his family were asleep in the house, his neighbor had set his house on fire. And so he put out the fire in his house. But while he was doing that, some sparks flew over to his neighbor's house and caught it on fire. And so the man went over there to help him put out the fire in his enemy's house. And that's how he burned his hands. Now that is enemy love. That we would love people whatever it costs us. You know, in loving our enemies, we anticipate that we may get hurt. And that is absolutely true. You may love your enemy to your own destruction. That is absolutely true. But we have to do that because that is what God does. If we want to be children of our Father in heaven, we have to love our enemies the way that God loves us and loves his enemies. Will you do that? When you drive away from here and you see all the signs, and you get on Facebook and you see all the posts, will you love your enemies? Be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you need anything from the church, if we can help you in any way, bless that you stand, you come forward as we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.